I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's up? Welcome back to Barton and Bud, our our second post-game wrap-up weekend catch-up kind of edition. Uh, so that's exciting and probably our least uh, consequential wrap-up of the year because SEC kicks up next next weekend. Uh, we got we got Big Ten coming. Pac-12, not far behind. Maybe it was Mount West, some Mac getting in the mix. But Bud, still some, still some good ball to, to get us to sort of the teaser to the next step. But uh, how we doing, man? You, 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 uh, you recovered from last night? Yeah, yeah, we're, 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 doing, uh, we're doing fairly well now. Uh, last night was, was a little rough, but that was, that was all. We, we, were, uh, we were kidless for a little while, so that was There you go. That well, that's cool. better be rough. Yeah, you got to make the most of it. <laughs> no doubt, man. But I, I did get a good amount of viewing in yesterday, uh, mostly like the afternoon and then the night games. I, I wasn't watching a whole lot of the noon slate. With the Sunday show, I, I kind of like – or I guess the Monday morning show, I, I kind of like to go big takeaways, things that we're pretty confident in and maybe things that we are still – unsure about and then we'll, we'll talk about some personnel changes that have happened out there that we've, we've had our eye on you know how that might impact the se- upcoming season um wh- where do you want to lead off because we had a, a lot of interesting games yesterday even if the final results weren't necessarily all, all that impactful so I, I think I'll start with what would probably be considered the biggest game of the weekend I mean not I mean it def- definitely was I, I think the probably most um sort of decisive takeaway I have from the weekend is just is simply this. Miami made a good hire at offensive coordinator in Rhett Lashley. Now, you could, you could certainly sort of like pat yourself on the back and say like you knew this was a good hire and like Rhett Lashley, like you've been, you could have been touting this for months and you could be right right now, but I don't think we really could confidently say it until today. I think what Miami did against Louisville and let's not, let's not like go overboard because Louisville doesn't appear to be a great defense, but what Miami was able to accomplish and the way they accomplished it, I think puts them in a position to where for the first time in a while, I have some confidence that if Miami has good players, they're going to find ways to to get to, to let them be successful. And so uh, that's, it, that sounds simple enough, but I don't, I just, it's been a long time since I could say that about Miami. Um, and it, Hey, it helps that they've got a quarterback that can distribute the football. Um, it helps you get a quarterback that can be a threat in his own right with his legs. And Derek King really did look like uh, a, an efficient, accurate quality passer uh, against Louisville. And so, you know, this is, I don't think that this, because Miami being Miami, like we, we now have to watch out for, like, okay, they had the big win. Like where, where's the letdown coming? And so I think we, we have to be vigilant 
about Miami as a team and, and continuing to, to be consistent week over week over week. But in terms of a very important question that needed to be answered this year, I think I can answer it with a, with a check mark next to offensive coordinator. Like Miami's offense appears to be in good hands. Do you agree? Absolutely. I, I 100% agree with you. About a month ago, I was on the Through the Smoke podcast with Andrew Ivins and David Lake for yep. our Miami 24-7 site. And, and we were talking about what would success look like for Miami this year offensively. And I said, to be honest, I think if Miami can get to a point where you have confidence that they will score on bad, below average, average, or even decent defenses, I think that's a huge success. Because we can talk about Miami becoming an elite offense. And I'm not sold that they're an elite offense yet, and I don't think you are either. But mm. they have struggled for so long in recent years to, to score on just iffy defenses, right? Like you, they would routinely lay three or four eggs a year against defenses that should not have that level of success stopping an offense with Miami's athletes. And part of that was quarterback. Part of that was you know, skill position guys. Part of that was probably also the coaching. I'm very impressed with what Lashley has done uh, in such a quick time frame, getting the offense to look like it does. Now, having Derek King, a guy who played in a bunch of spread offenses before, I think is, is a huge help there and with, with his leadership and, and, and you know, his, vet, his veteran, veteran-ness. That's not even really a word. Uh, his his vet- veteranacity. Yeah, veteranacity. That's, that's, <laughs> oh, no, that's, I like that. <laughs> you know, and, and the, the, the haters out there will say, hey, like they had a couple of wide open passes that you know, Louisville didn't really cover. And look, that's not wrong. But at the mm-hmm. same time, the tempo at which they want to play and, and all, all the kind of motion and window dressing that they use definitely, um, I, I think, helps to open up some of those things and create some of those freebies that then King still has to hit, and, and, and he did. And um, that, that's a big deal right there. So I, I definitely think that, that Miami's offense, I have confidence they're going to score a good number of points in most of their games. Now, two weeks from now, Clemson, maybe a little bit different, but most of their games, I'm feeling pretty good that they're going to score. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's important – to note that like it's not time to to throw the parade for Miami. Like there's going to continue there's going to be some some ups and downs. There's going to have there's going to be a bad week or two, but I think it's just sort of like I think you know to me I can just go back and say all right, I think Rhett Lashley was a was a good hire and that's all they needed. They didn't need a miracle worker. They just needed a good hire, an offensive coordinator. And they needed Derek King to be good. And so uh, I think with those two things now, because look, there's going to be a day when their offensive line can't block the defense. Like they're going to have a hard time blocking Clemson up front. Um, they may have a hard time blocking Notre Dame. I don't even know if they played Notre Dame this year, but like they're they're going to there's going to be some times when like maybe that run game doesn't get going. But then does Mark Pope have his breakout game? Does Jeremiah Payton have his breakout game? Does Brevin Jordan like he played great? Like I think now we see uh, enough you know elements that are being utilized and and you noted it too like the you know there were some big plays there were some busts but I think just the constant pressure point that Miami is putting on a defense the constant pace the constant compilation of plays like these are just like this is all part of the equation for that offense and so um I do feel good about it do you feel and if you have another if you have another point on that make it but I but if I, I do want to ask you as a complimentary question is Louisville's defense something that you are um, ready to sort of write off as just very bad or just a couple bad plays? Like where, where's your, where's your pessimism or optimism about Brian Brown's unit for, for Louisville? 
so I, I think Brian Brown is, is a good coach. Now, I th- he did not have a great coached game on, on Saturday. Like his defense had too many busts, too many mental mistakes there. At the same time, I don't think Louisville has a whole lot of talent on defense. I, mean, I, I like Russ Yeast. I think we both liked him a whole lot coming out as a recruit. But they don't have that many other guys on defense who I, I think, yeah, that, that dude's going to play in the league. And th- this to me looks like a roster – which is two years removed from Bobby Petrino basically kind of quitting on him. And even before he did that, they were not the best at recruiting defense. So, you know, like this is the result of several years in a row of kind of lackluster defensive recruiting. And I think it's going to take a couple of years for them, for them to dig out. Uh, I got kind of skeptical about Louisville at about maybe 4.30 yesterday when, when, I, when I glanced at the Liberty score over Western Kentucky. I said, ah, okay. So Liberty held Western Kentucky down to about the same level that Louisville did. I don't know that this bodes very well for, for Louisville going, going up against Miami, especially you know, defensively. And um, I'm not going to break down the Liberty-Western Kentucky game, but Louisville didn't look like they had a lot of speed on defense, man. Miami was able to pull away. They were able to, able to get the edge consistently. I just think Louisville needs better players there on that side of the ball if they're going to take that next step. And it is so much harder to go from, like, like, you know, decent to really good than it is just to go from terrible to, to average like they did last year because they just had no motivation. Like, they basically quit on Petrino because he kind of quit on them. Yeah. And, like, that's not, that's not a thing you can just let's, – let's repeat that step this year again because we're already getting the buy-in. We're already getting the motivation. It, like, that's not something that – that you, you can't just ask, hey, guys, can you just give us some more talent here? Um, so I think it'll take a little time. Yeah, the, the, you know, like the, for all the issues that Bobby Petrino left behind him on that, on that roster, the offense was like equipped to be successful. Um, if, you, if, you're, if you're well coached, if you're Scott Satterfield and you know how to coach offense, because they did, like Javion Hawkins was like, he was a Petrino recruit. Tutu Atwell was a Petrino recruit. Um, Mikhail Cunningham's Petrino recruit. They, the offensive line wasn't great. Um, and they're still not great. And Louisville has found success despite it. And I think, um, just again, like it, finding some buy-in offensively, what, what was, was an easier transition. And I think defensively, yeah, they, they need to revamp the, the, the ability, the players there. I do think, I don't like I played the game, but I don't like I'm not going to sit here and be X's and O's guy like that's not I'm I'm not like the guy that's going to be like, oh, like they were in an underfront there. And like this is what like but again, talking to coaches last year, you know, like that was a concern when they watched Louisville on film like they're those guys just like they don't they're not fitting up in the right places. They're not like they don't appear to be, um, you know, playing sound defense. And there were certainly at least a few plays last uh, Saturday night that Louisville was not playing sound defense. And so whether that is a coaching issue, whether that is a repetition issue, whether that is just defense takes longer than offense, which, uh, you know, typically is you hear yeah. the reverse. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but it, like, it needs to be, it needs to be addressed. Like they need to, they need to get better. Um, that that's obvious. And uh, you know, like they're, there's going to be some shootouts this year, if not, because I still think that offense is is pretty pretty legit. There are not, there are not a lot of teams uh, which are going to stop that offense. I, I also think that the way the game played out 
was particularly bad for Louisville's offense, which is primarily a, a running offense that then wants to take shots. That they're not they're not really an offense that's going to chuck it around fifty times with a you know, short controlled passing game and try to control the game that way. So if, if you're not really caring about the run quite as much because you, you're up seventeen points, that limits the effectiveness of their play action and, and the ability of them to get the ball over the top. Uh, so the, the the way the games kind of you know the game scripted out was I think pretty pretty fortunate for Miami as well. And Miami deserved to get the win. I mean, they, they were considerably better team on the night. Uh, all right, I, I want to take us to Atlanta here because this is a game that, that I, I was able to watch start to finish. We wanted to see how would Georgia Tech look fresh off their win over Florida State. We wanted to see how UCF would look because we hadn't seen them yet this year. And the, the best way that, that I can describe this is like p- trading punches. Georgia Tech – was landing body blows, and UCF was just landing headshots. All right, so every time Georgia Tech had like an 18-yard or 25-yard pass, UCF was like, oh, here's a 50-shot. <laughs> and just over the course of the game, that kind of added up. Uh, I thought Georgia Tech was very aggressive as far as shooting gaps and, and, and trying to create negative plays to get UCF off schedule in this, and they were actually pretty effective. And, and even some of the times when, when Gabriel – was able to dump the ball away, um, they, they still affected him quite a bit. The problem was w- when they didn't get home, UCF is very good at pushing the ball down the field, and they, they got the one-on-ones they were looking for, and they threw enough of them, and they ended up throwing up a 49 spot. I mean, 49-21 UCF. Uh, ultimately, Georgia Tech had to play from behind after about m- midway through the second quarter, which I don't think really fits what they do, although they, they did it pretty effectively last week, I, I will have to point out. Um, but this was just UCF. They have a gear they can get into that Georgia Tech does not have right now as far as explosiveness through the air. And then that was, that was the key difference in my mind. Other than that, like, they didn't look that, that different team-wise. Just UCF could, could chuck it over the top with pretty damn good effectiveness repeatedly. I don't want um, to pile – I don't want to take this opportunity to pile on Florida State, but – you should. Is, is I mean, it, like, there's some lessons there, right? Is it concerning? Like, this is that they they more than doubled up what Florida State was able to produce offensively against that Georgia Tech defense, and so I don't think that I think that Georgia Tech's defense is ne- neither bad nor good. They're just, I think, probably just okay. Um, but that's an okay defense that wasn't didn't give up really anything to Florida state to uh, pass the first script and then UCF kind of rolls them up. And now there was like, it got, it got away from them at the end of the game. And so, um, but I mean, those, those yards count too. And so uh, I don't know, like, I think I, I expected, I don't know. Like, I don't know whether to take this as, I feel like this is Georgia tech is just sort of like a, um, is the uh, the 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 standard, or what's the what, what, in a scientific experiment like the 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 um, control variable? Control variable. Georgia right? Tech's or, the control or the, variable. The control, is it control? Yeah. The, the one no, we you're right. the same. The constant yeah. or whatever. I, I th- yeah, the constant. The control variable. I think is right. Like in, in the sense of comparing. Like to me, I don't really judge Georgia Tech off of this. I judge UCF dominating Georgia Tech, and I judge Florida State. Like not being able to take because Georgia Tech 
clearly outplayed Florida State. Like that was a yes. close game that shouldn't have been as close as it was. And so there's these these two sort of uh, you know these two programs are being judged against this sort of I think average program in Georgia Tech. And I think the the, the difference in them in those two games was pretty dramatic. And so I don't know whether that means that UCF is just that good. I don't know if that means that Florida State is just that bad. I don't know if that means that Florida State had a bad game and UCF had a good one. But I think it's really interesting to see the dramatically different performances those two teams had against what will probably be a very middle-of-the-road Georgia Tech football team. Right. And, and so I, I wrote about this. Like Right now, UCF's case for the playoff is probably about as good as it's ever been. And I still don't think it's a great case at all. But like at least they have a win now, a, a pretty dominant win over a you know, Power 5 team that got a lot of headlines in week one. UCF really needs Georgia Tech to end up with like at least a 500 record in conference. And, I, and I'm not convinced that they get that. I, I think it does say a lot about Florida State as far as like you can compare these things. We, we know we have a decent idea of where UCF's offense ranks nationally. We, we know it's, it's a pretty darn good offense, right? And I think you can extrapolate and say, okay, well, they, they just about doubled up the yards per play on tech that Florida State had on tech. So Florida State has a long way to go. And even if they make improvement, I mean, not to be, you know, hashtag talking about the Knowles here, like they could improve as far as the quality of play. And yet it still might not show up in the box score at all because of the issues you're going to have in terms of the increased competition level in some of these future games, like a Miami, which, which they have this weekend, like a Clemson, you know, like a Notre Dame. Um, they, they don't get Boston College, Syracuse, or, uh, um, or Wake Forest this year in the ACC. So that's, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I think in terms of, of UCF, um, I don't know. Are you, are you of the opinion without the – forget resume. Are you of the opinion that that UCF team – is is good enough to compete with the the top teams in any of the power fives? No, no, okay. I, I, I'm not. And and I, I live in Orlando. I'm surrounded by UCF people, and uh, I, I I like them a lot. Um, the, the people, the, the team is look. It, they gave up 5.8 yards of play to Georgia Tech. Um, the the really elite teams out there are, are not going to do that. They're, they're going to make this this Georgia Tech offense look bad, and I just think it's sort of a – it's a box they had to check for me, right? Like, if they want to keep the conversation alive for the playoff, if, if, if we assume that, that UCF wins the, the American, which was my pick, but they're not a lock by any stretch. I mean, Memphis, if they ever get over the COVID stuff, could. Yeah. And Cincinnati could. And SMU uh, certainly could. But if you lose this game, I think it's very damaging to the playoff hopes uh, of, of the AC. And honestly, even if you played it close, I think it would be you know kind of damaging. At least this – somewhat keeps it alive if we get total chaos in the other leagues. You know, it's going to be interesting to me as it relates to UCF because UCF now is going to be measured against Georgia Tech season the rest of the year. Like that's going to be what defines sort of UCF's ceiling. And it, it's going to be interesting to me what happens with Georgia Tech because be, because they are still young in the, in the Jeff Collins era, because they are playing a true freshman quarterback, because they have a lot of young guys playing you could make a case that you could make a case to predict that they'll be a lot better late in the year, that they'll improve, that they'll get some big wins. You could also make a case that 
you know, with youth comes uh, inconsistency with youth comes like uh, fatigue late in the year with like, so I, I think, you know, not to belabor the point, but I think that what, you know, what happens with Georgia tech is going to be very interesting as it relates to how UCF is viewed. I, I agree with you. And the thing is some of these leagues are not even playing any non-conference games. And so they yeah. don't have another data point that we, we, we can compare. I'm actually speaking with Bill Connolly about this for an article either this week or, or next week. Like how are we going to use the, the lack of uh, conference interconnectivity to, to judge one conference against another? It's going to be a very difficult discussion for the playoff committee. And they'll probably just, you know, pull stuff <laughs> out of wherever uh, to, to, to kind of fit you know, the narrative to, to whatever their decisions happen to be. I'm, I'm interested to see how, how that, how that all shakes out though. Where do you want to uh, go now? I tell you what, let's uh, let's knock this ad break out, and then let's hit uh, let's hit let's hit a game that's very near and dear to my heart, and uh, and 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 get your take on it. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. Now, let's, let, let's talk about the, the pokes. The you know this is the Oklahoma State team that I uh, I picked in the playoffs. No other way of saying it. I picked them in the playoffs, and they barely beat a team in Tulsa that you know has a coach on the hot seat and was won three games last year. Um, you tell me how panicked I should be. Well, I, I didn't get to watch most of this game. I, I saw some of the clips. Um, a couple things stand out to me. I, I don't like seeing a double-digit number in terms of tackles for loss allowed. That's not really uh, a great. Their point. offensive line was not good. <laughs> like that's <laughs> that. I can just go ahead and save you your film study. Their offensive line was not good. Fourteen tackles for loss for Tulsa. Um, now look, maybe Zaven Collins and Grant Sawyer are just like the next big thing part. Zayvon Collins is good now. I will <laughs> say that. Like that's – but but aside from the – but but Zayvon Collins aside, uh, I don't think that 14 tackles for losses is, is excusable. Now, some excuses can be made here. Uh, Spencer Sanders goes out, I think, on the first drive, right? He – he. so if I remember this right, he the, the first drive, um, he was in the whole drive. The second drive – it was a one play drive where the where there was a fumble on a exchange, and then the third drive was when he he hobbled to the you know before the third drive he hobbled to the locker room. Uh, one of the last plays on that first drive is where he got hurt, I think, though he kept on playing afterwards. Um, so there's your Spencer Sanders injury report. 
I'm sure a lot of our listeners know this, but, but some may not. Sometimes you have protection calls and run strength calls and things like that that are made by the quarterback that if you have a, an experienced guy in there, like, like they had their, their Juco transfer come in, he was largely ineffective. Uh, and then they, they had Shane Illingworth, who was – I actually saw a couple times in, in high school just being out there in Cali for, for Lee Levin stuff. And I didn't think he was at all ready – to, to lead Oklahoma State. I guess um, Oklahoma State didn't either because they played they, they played they played a JUCO transfer that was uh, wasn't great. I mean, thirteen attempts for the JUCO for forty one yards. That's that's like a USF quarterback line this year, man. <laughs> um, to your credit, you did mention that you thought Oklahoma State's offensive line could be a, a real kind of pain point for them this year if, if they didn't get it right. We knew they had some guys retire and go pro and something other than sports or whatever, and I think somebody transferred. They did get the one transfer from West Virginia in, in Sills, who they were pretty excited about. And I know there's not good, great defenses in, in the Big 12, but I think you, maybe like, like threat level orange, perhaps, to, to, to the Pokes pick here. We can't go red until we see what they look like with, with Sanders back, but this is concerning. Yeah, it, it's um, – I think like Shane Illingworth got in and I think that that's my only like hope is that they did score when Shane Illingworth got in and it wasn't that they scored because Shane Illingworth was, was like really good. It was just they just scored because they were willing to throw vertically finally. Like they were willing to stress the defense and let Tyler Wallace go make a couple plays and then bam, well, you know, boom, 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 like touchdown. All right, well, like why – like. Is, was the Ethan Bullet kit that bad that you couldn't just like throw it downfield a couple times? Um, and so, with that said, like I'm hopeful uh, for the sake of my pick that uh, Spencer Sanders' return just sort of makes that offense a lot more cohesive. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think that I would. If I were to re-rack it, I don't think I'd have Oklahoma State in my. Usually these, like, if a team's good enough, like, you know pretty quick they're good enough. If they're not good enough, you know pretty quick they're not good enough. There, there may be some good moments for Oklahoma State along the way this year, but let's call a spade a spade. That was not a playoff team. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. Now, I'm going to go back to ACC country here. I thought Duke was going to take care of Boston College. I was encouraged by what I saw from Duke against Notre Dame, man. And to be honest, early in this game, I was kind of encouraged by, by what I saw from Duke. And then they just did some very uncut cliff-like things. Two turnovers in, in the Boston College red zone, one turnover inside of their own 10. They also had a drive where they had back-to-back personal fouls, which they were in Boston College territory, like you know, going to score, and then they get backed up and they have a fourth and 41 and have to punt for two back-to-back personal fouls. And all the while, Boston College is just kind of screwing around on offense. They're not really doing much. Duke is actually moving the football fairly well and just fumbling. And, and there's a pretty good random element to turnovers. They're not 100% random. But in watching, I was like, okay, like this is actually going all right. Just as long as they can keep moving the football, they'll eventually score. And then to Boston College's credit, they shut Duke down the rest of the way. Duke really did not play with very good discipline in this game. And then BC started hitting all these explosive plays. I think they had five plays through the air of 35-plus yards. Flowers was, was really good for them. And, look, Jeff Halfley got his team ready to play. They weathered the storm early. And he goes out, and, and he's one of, the, one of the few coaches to get a win as a new head coach here in, in his FBS debut. Yeah, the, the new coach thing 
the the new coach COVID era principal uh, from a gambling or picking perspective let me down a little bit this weekend. And I, I think Jeff Halfley is a really good coach and I was expecting him to get the most out of this team. We talked about Boston College before the weekend and you know, you, you know, I, 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 I talked about how much I think that they have coming back on offense. I've talked about the, every reason to believe that they can be good, but you know what? Look, they've got an NFL offensive coordinator who didn't get a spring practice with them. He's got a new quarterback coming in as a transfer that can't really throw. He's got a defense that was, was not good last year. And, you know, I got, this is not a game I got, Oh, I, I was able to watch. I'm hoping to get to maybe the day or tonight to get a chance to, to, to watch the, the tape of it. But the, I know the defense basically got five turnovers, which is also the, the difference, but also, also Phil Jakovic was like second half. Apparently like he was very efficient and effective throwing the ball down the field, which is, that's a great sign. Um, the offense clearly has an identity that seems to, to work. The, um, the, and the defense was, at, at the very least, opportunistic. I, I, I got to look at the box score and dig in a little bit to see if I, I can start to sort of change my, um, my, my, my numbers, so to speak, on, on what to expect out of the defense. Um, but, hey, man, they got to win against a team at Duke that, that looked – look pretty pretty damn decent against Notre Dame uh and so i think that's a that's a huge huge game one performance by Jeff Halfley they they made duke pay for for loading up against the run duke was like look you're not going to run the ball on us and duke successfully limited their run i mean boston college had uh 26 carries for 80 yards with their with their yeah. running backs like like you know take out the Jerkovic sacks and whatnot. 26 for 80. That's that's a bad day running the ball. But in order to do so, Duke had to play a lot of man coverage. They, they had to play a lot of guys up close to the line of scrimmage. And, yeah, Boston College, their athletes in space on offense made Duke pay. And Duke has some dudes on the outside who, you know, are, are pretty highly regarded. So that that was uh, that was impressive, at least by, you know, kind of lower mid-tier ACC standards here. And, and uh, we are giving the Duke-Boston College game a six-minute discussion on – on the 24-7 national podcast. So that that tells you kind of what kind of weekend this was. Um, what, other, what other games did you get eyeballs on? All right. So I, I the game that I probably was enjoyed the most and any of my ACC network watching brethren would agree with me on this, but Wake-NC State was a fun-ass game. Like there was – the like like wake went on these little like um it was almost like they popped like a five-hour energy every once in a while and would just get on these like turbo drive scoring drives and and meanwhile nc state was just kind of pounding them all up and down the field when they had the ball uh and i just thought like both these teams were really fun to watch particularly nc state offensively uh the 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 Tim Beck hire at offensive coordinator is is one that I'm suddenly much more optimistic about, and that that run game is good. That offensive line is good, uh, and I just think that this is a this is an NC State team that has the players to beat you. They've got of they're big up fronts. Uh, they've they're 
they can run the ball. If if Bailey Hockman can just take care of things, this is a I think that this is an NC State team that I mean they've surprised me. Like they're better than I thought they would be, and uh, and 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 I, I I think they'll be a fun team to watch this year. I'm I'm very interested in, in seeing how well they run the ball against other teams. I mean, Barton, I'm pulling this up. They ran for 280 without sacks, 5.8 a clip. That's that's really good, man. Like like that's that's impressive. They were messing around. I mean, Ricky Person, um, Bam Knight. Jordan Houston is this, you know, the first two are kind of can are big downhill types, but with, but with some juice, like they're not lumberers, like they can they can actually roll. And then Jordan Houston is more of the jet sweep space kind of uh, dynamic guy that you know is sort of a you know packs a punch if you if if you uh, get him in a corner. But I just the the the, the group collectively behind an offensive line that returns. I think pretty much everyone from last year, um, man, I, I just, yeah, like they, they it was not, it, it, they just looked good. Like the run game looked good. It didn't look like when Wake was just sort of some like incompetent defense. They just look like they're, they, they're just going to big boy people. That's, that's pretty cool, man. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged to hear that then. That, that's going to be a nice little race for the kind of, you know, middle bottom of the ACC this year. I, I did see Doran's comments that he was really disappointed in the run fits of his defense. So he, he wasn't, I guess, thinking it was a personnel well, because issue Because they them. did that wake, they, like, they did that wake like Or excuse Matt me, not, 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 uh, not Dorm, my bad. Oh, um, the, oh, the wake Clawson. coach. Yeah, Clawson. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, hey, they, <laughs> they were getting scashed, so. Yeah. But, but, but the, on the, on the flip side, you know, this, the wake, um, the wake, you, you've watched the wake run game where like they just sit back there and just play patty cake with the with the football for about three seconds, and let the defense sort of lose patience and jump inside. You know, someone's got contained jumps inside, or someone, some next level linebacker just sort of gets a little bit um, undisciplined with his fit, and then boom, like you're gone. Uh, the the wake the wake offense had its moments too, and so I just. I'm going to keep on, you know, in, in a game where those two teams can can compete with someone else, I think they'll be fun to watch, both of them. All right, let's go to Dallas or Dallas area. SMU 65, North Texas 35. Uh, this this game, I'm very happy I got this one right. Took the over and took the team total over. Uh, SMU actually covered the over by itself almost, uh, so that was, that was fortunate. Uh, Barton, here are the explosive plays that SMU had. We, one of our questions in this league this year was going to be, did, did North Texas have anything at corner? Because last year they really did not, and everybody could throw on them. Uh, SMU chunk plays. 50, 15, 62, 42, 20, 21, 18, 21, 14, 10, 17, 21, 17, 22, 10, 20, 11, 11, 84, and 19. Uh, yo, I'm pretty sure North Texas defense is not totally fixed, and – 710 yards for SMU. I, I'm not totally sold on SMU's defense being that much better this year, but that offense, they can score on anybody in that league. And I, I think week one was just kind of a hiccup for them when they were kind of screwing around against Texas State. Well, and wasn't the, in, in this one, wasn't the run game like, didn't, um, what's that, what's that running back's name? Uh, Bentley. Yeah. Didn't he, didn't he just like go off in this one? 
Yeah, two twenty-seven on nineteen touches. Ulysses Bentley the fourth. That That's hell a hell of a name. name. <laughs> <laughs> That's my guy right there. Ulysses. Yeah, Ulysses. Ulysses. He, he got he got pretty medieval on uh, on North Texas. So North Texas, um, they can't stop the run. It appears some to some to put away. Ulysses yeah, that, averaged 11, 11.9 per with a long of eighty four. It's not a, not a bad day. That's 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 a hell of a day. Somehow somehow SMU was only six of fourteen on third downs, which is hard to believe they're under fifty percent on third downs. But also, if you only face fourteen third downs in in route to uh, uh, putting up seven hundred ten yards, that means you just, like you were getting a lot of first downs on first down and second down. That, that's yeah. that's a pretty low number of third downs to face if you're gonna you know, run 84 plays. Yeah. Yeah. What um, else you got from this weekend? I, there's, there's a couple more, uh, but like, let's, what else you want to get to? So I think, I mean, that, that, that pretty much covers my weekend. I mean, Notre Dame, good to see they can blow out a team. They should be better than, um, you know, the, the, the Duke, the Duke's misdirection has, has uh, kind of makes me not quite know what to think of Notre Dame right now, but they handle their business. Um, Pitt didn't dominate Syracuse offensively the way I would have liked. They did dominate Syracuse defensively the way I would have liked, uh, based on my picks. Not that I, you know, carry wins except for the ones that I'm on. And then, uh, but I do think, you know, I, I've, I've, I like Syracuse's defense. I think Syracuse's defense given them a chance. Unfortunately, I don't think their offense is going to give them a chance. So that that kind of cancels each other's out. 171 yards for Syracuse. 69 of those were on one play. Yeah, um, Barton. They are uh, they're on pace to allow 77 sacks this year, which is it's probably a record, I would think, for an 11 game schedule. Yeah, I, I think that's probably not not going to be a, a great indicator of success. Yeah. I just I feel bad for Devito and, and Culpepper and basically anybody who's behind that line. They, they just sometimes it's too simple. But when we say they can't block, but they they really can't block. I mean everybody that they're playing and look Pitt is legitimately extremely good up front. But I don't think North Carolina is world beaters up front. I think they have a couple of dudes who are, are are pretty good, but the depth maybe is not great. And both those teams just got easy pressure on them over and over, man. So that was. That was definitely tough to watch uh, for, for Syracuse. I, I had the under in that one. Um, I actually considered playing Pitt there too, but I ended up taking the under. I played Pitt. I was, uh, they let me down there. But the defense, the defense is going to be, I think, uh, something you can count on week to week. There's no doubt about that. Can we get a little anchors away in the background here? Navy down 24 to nothing comes back for the, I think, the biggest comeback in Navy history. Tulane. Basically, you called nothing that one. You were all half. over that one. You had you had Navy. Uh, you had Navy plus the points, didn't you? I marked it as an L when they went down twenty four nothing as an option. I offense. did too. I was like glad I didn't jump on that bet. And then and then second half, I look. I didn't. I didn't watch any of the second half, and I just look up and it's like, oh, they're kicking a the field goal to win it. So they, they they put the freshman quarterback back in, Dalen Morris, and he just went off, man. Six for eleven for one hundred thirty nine yards through the air. You know, 13 carries, 23 yards on the ground. Not that great. Like, when, when he went back in, the offense sparked. And then Tulane's, uh, Tulane's offense was, was lacking in sparks for, for the second half. It was kind of weird because last week, 
we talked about how Tulane absolutely shut down South Alabama in, in like the final 20 minutes of the game. Here it was almost the, you know, the exact opposite of that. Tulane, yeah. what, the, the, the last couple drives for, for Tulane, after they go up 24 nothing, it's, uh, okay, five plays, 27 yards, ends in a pick, three plays, seven yards, punt, three plays, three yards, punt, three plays, one yard, punt, three plays, six yards, punt, safety, one play, uh, turnover on downs, five plays, 33 yards, turnover on downs, seven plays, 33 yards. Navy just flipped a switch on defense and, and completely shut them down. Yeah, Navy um, Navy pulled a Tulane on Tulane, uh, and so I don't know. What do you what what uh, is this the beginning of Navy's long march to to freedom, and they become uh, you know join Army in the the year of the option? I think we have to say it is. I mean, and, and they they instituted contact and practice, which is this new revolutionary thing. Um, I know a lot of the Ivy, Ivy League teams kind of are shying away from contact and practice, but at least they hit some, and Navy. Navy had not hit it all before the BYU game, and I think uh, I think the score in that fifty-five to three or, or whatever that was reflected that. Um, I I think Navy is certainly a lot better than they showed against BYU, and they were probably a little bit fortunate to, to you know, come out with the win after going, going down twenty-four nothing here. But still, good on them, man. Um, no doubt, those are our troops, baby. There you go. That's, that's 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 America, man. Don't don't count us out. I have emptied the clip as far as games that I actually got eyes on. I don't, I don't want to talk about ones that are just, you know, just like stat, you know, box score scouting here. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the crux of, of my, uh, of my weekend as well. Um, this weekend we get some SEC. Uh, this weekend we get, I think, uh, what do we have? Do we have Florida State Miami with, a, with our first coach by like our first, what are we calling this? Proxy coaching. Um, in, in Norvell, who was tested positive for COVID, didn't he talk about he's going to try to have some sort of remote coaching um, setup? Well, so I, I did see a coach in Mississippi do this. Have you seen the the, uh, the picture of this? With, the guy with in the coach? crane? Yeah, I, I heard about. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you if you put a crane over Doe Campbell or like, can't they just put him like a COVID wing of, of the press box? It's not being used, and he can just, pull you know, like the Hugh Freeze. Yeah, like, get up in he, the dentist chair. Hugh Freeze was on a hospital bed. In, yeah. in in one of the luxury suites, like they should be able to do that, just you know, hermetically seal the room or whatever, and um and, and take care of that. But I'm excited about this week. I, I just I know you're a big personnel guy. I'm a big personnel guy. This is one area that I feel like college ball media could do a better job of, and we're in that. So I, it's something I definitely want to do with this pod. But I, I watched the NFL pregame coverage, and they, they're talking. Okay, this guy's out. This guy's out. How does it affect the game? And I feel like in college, because the stars are more often the coaches than the players, at least as far as like the biggest names in the sport, you know, Saban as opposed to whoever Bama's quarterback is in a given year, we don't necessarily talk about the players being in and out quite as much. But there's a couple names that, that are going to impact some of these teams kicking off their seasons next weekend. I, I, I don't know where you want to start on this. I've got a fairly long list. I, I guess I'll start with LSU because my wife's in the room. We're, we're getting ready to go to a wedding. LSU gets Neil Farrell yeah, back. Just rattle a few. Just rattle a few off, and then and then I'll you, you tell me which ones you are most interested, and I'll give you a couple of the ones that I, I like the best. All right. So uh, for LSU, they actually get Neil Farrell back, staying in the SEC West. Jamon Osmond opting out, and Anthony Hines also opting out for A and M. Uh, I just saw that in our Slack chat. Josh I didn't Payton. know. Yeah, I hadn't seen Anthony Hines. That's that's a new one to me. Yeah. So that that those are potentially two. You know 
pretty important losses there for Texas A&M. Uh, Virginia Tech has the, their, their safety uh, hunter suspended, uh, it looks like, indefinitely. And then they also had a pretty key reserve uh, in um, payout, the, uh, the receiver. He's going out. And then uh, what the hell is his, his name? The, the North Carolina safety who is academically ineligible uh, for this year, which may not be a, a big thing if you think about it, but then you realize, oh, wait a second. They had three safeties or, or three defensive backs opt out in August. So now their, their depth there is, is pretty thin. Those are some of the names on my list, in addition to obviously we already spoke about Spencer Sanders. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very interested. I mean, Texas A&M should stop Vandy next weekend. They should. I don't. I mean, if they don't, that's concerning because Texas A and M is a is a is a hot pick for. Uh, and I'm I'm among those jumping on the bandwagon. And with with Anthony Hines out, I'm not that's I'm not that worried about it. Like um, talking about um, identifying where who could step in. I think they got plenty of linebackers that can play there, including a true freshman, Edron Cooper, that's been balling out in camp. That they were probably just going to have as a backup this year. If for some reason that guy has to go onto the field, like he'll be okay. Texas A&M will be all right. Like the, I, linebacker's good. Uh, wide receiver, they've already got Baylor Cup out, who's the true fresh, who's the redshirt freshman that was hurt last year. Former five-star tight end. That's a that's a monster. He's out for the season. Uh, Javon Osmond's out now. Uh, Aeneas William Aeneas Smith has sort of bounced around from running back to to receiver. Like they j- just. They've, they've recruited well enough. They need some of these guys to be on the field and make plays, and they, they need that offense to be to be good. They need that offense to be really good this year. It doesn't need to be okay. It doesn't need to be above average. It needs to be really good. And so, I, um, I mean, fortunately for them, they're getting Vandy and kind of just, you know, stretch out, see what works. Um, but this is – this is, I think, this is an important week for Texas A&M. In the same way, like the, it's kind of their opportunity. It's like a referendum week, a little bit, like like Oklahoma State. Like, all right, Oklahoma State doesn't look like I was right on that call. Texas A&M, I think you're going to be good. You better, you better like put in work against Vandy because otherwise, I, I'm that's that's not going to be a team I'm confident in moving forward. By the way, on Vandy, I was looking looking back through the SEC archives for something that, that I might write. There are two teams in the last 10 years, or last 11 years, rather, who have scored fewer than uh, 10 points a game in conference play in the SEC. 2009, Vandy, and 2015, Missouri. I'm pretty sure that this Vandy offense is going to threaten to be the first team to maybe only score like a touchdown a game. Hey, if they're not, then Todd Fitz, their new offensive coordinator, uh, he's, he is, uh, he's a star. Because he's this is a tough, it's a tough gig, man. Um, this is brutal. We'll see. Like yeah. they're, they're they're for you guys who know what team totals are. If you don't, like you can bet on over unders on games or or the spread or whatever. There's also this thing called team totals where if you kind of feel like you have a good good handle on maybe what one side of the ball is going to look like in a game, you can bet on a team's team total for how many points they're going to score. For instance, you know, I took Syracuse uh, under six and a half uh, for the first. And quarter or half or whatever against North Carolina. Um, I think Vandy's team totals in whole games sometimes are going to be like just straight up one touchdown. This this is going to be kind of rough for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll 
We'll have a lot of time to break down um, next weekend slate uh, this week, but this is going to be, this is going to feel, it's going to feel real next weekend. It's starting to feel, Hey, it felt real this weekend. Like I say, it didn't, but this is going to be one of those weekends where there's not enough screens. Just there's been enough screens to this point. I've had enough screens next weekend. I'm not going to have enough screens and that's going to be fun. That's a good problem to have. Absolutely. By the way, special bonus for everybody who listens all the way through lines just popped um, in faraway places. Notre Dame laying 18 and a half on the road at Wake. Louisville is a dog at Pittsburgh. Georgia Tech is a touchdown favorite on the road at Cuse. Uh, Georgia laying 24 and a half at Arkansas. Texas laying 15 and a half at Texas Tech. Hmm. Alabama giving 26 to Missouri. Miami by 10 over Florida State. And uh, Kansas is an 18 and a half point dog to Baylor in Waco. This is an exciting weekend, man. I'm, I'm pumped about this. There's a couple I didn't even mention yet. Uh, yeah, that's uh, before my wife gets back home with the kids for a, from a birthday party. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to dig into those lines, do a little do a little mining while I got some solo time. But that's that's exciting. I guess advisable. All right, man. I will see you on Wednesday. All right, see ya. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.